the interpersonal relations become most of what you spend your time doing. So if you're not good at that and you don't enjoy that, like I have friends of mine who have offered to hand off family offices to us because they just don't enjoy the family dynamics and the challenges that those bring. And so you have to be willing to be sensitive to those because these are people that, that are related, right? They're not just working together because they want to, they're working together because they're related and that's part of the, the whole deal. Hi, you're listening to That Really Happened, Unbelievable Real Estate Stories. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. If you're a real estate investor, this is the podcast for you. Our guest speakers will bring you amazing, intriguing, and unbelievable stories about real estate investing. The stories will be an honest and transparent account about what it actually means to invest in real estate. You'll hear stories that investors don't usually share. Stories about hardships, breaking points, painful truths, and surprising realizations. Sometimes there's a happy ending, and sometimes the story ends very differently than you would expect. So let's get the show started. Hey guys, welcome to That Really Happened, Unbelievable Real Estate Stories. I'm Ellie Perlman, your host, broadcasting from sunny California. When I'm not behind the mic, I buy multifamily properties with passive investors, and together we partner on all of my deals. If you enjoy the podcast, give me a rating. Also, a review would be very, very much appreciated. And don't forget to like and follow me on social media. I'm pretty much you know, active on all of them, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, you name it. So you can find all my social media links and the show notes on my website, ellieperlman.com. Now, before we start the show today, I wanted to personally invite you an event hosted by my good friend, Adam Adams, called Raising Money Summit. So that's going to happen in Denver on October 3rd until October 5th. And if you use the promo code Ellie again, you can get 30% off until the end of June. And then it goes down to 25% in July. So what I love about this one is that it's going to teach you everything you need to know about raising capital. So as a syndicator and an investor, you can learn the real secrets behind raising millions of dollars from investors and syndicators that actually did it. You're going to, you know, have takeaways from tactical strategies so you can go out and close more deals in less time. You're also going to discover the proven methods professionals use to create win-win deals and partnerships, and you'll be able to stop worrying about how you are going to fund your next real estate deal. So don't miss this premium conference. It can definitely be a game changer for you and help you to dominate any niche of real estate. So if you, again, want to use the promo code Ellie, you can get 30% off this month. You can get tickets at www.raisinmoneysummit.com. All right. So I think by now we're ready to start the show. Our guest today is Mark Miskia. Mark has over 17 years of real estate investment experience and a portfolio valued at over $1.5 billion. That's with the B. He founded Mosquito Development LLC in 2006 and is the CEO and chairman. So prior to this, Mark actually oversaw about half a billion 26-story development in Manhattan while he worked for Archstone, a former Fortune 500 company, publicly traded a real estate company. So uh, Mark actually has two master's degrees from NYU 
and George Washington University and is an adjacent professor at NYU's institution, Institute of Real Estate. Mark also founded his own charity, Investium, that works tirelessly to provide educational pathways and medical support all over the world. So today, Mark will discuss his experience with starting with five large family office investors and then growing to 300 investors in only two years. So with that, I would like to welcome Mark to the show. Hey, Mark, how are you? I'm great, Ellie. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really, you know, I'm really happy to have you today because I know that working with family office is something that, you know, a lot of both syndicators and also passive investors are very curious about. And, you know, I would love to hear, you know, start with hearing your story of how you actually started, you know, investing in real estate with family offices, how that happened. <laughs> yeah, the beginning is pretty unmagical. I uh, actually used to work for a family office when I started in the industry. So my first real job out of college or out of my first master's degree was for one of the family offices. And I didn't even know what that meant or what that was. I just knew it was a good job. And so I took it and, and did really well there. So what does it mean for those who don't really know what a family office is? Sure. I mean, they're, <laughs> like most things in real estate, there's kind of like 8 million uh, definitions for the same word. Uh, <laughs> Loosely, a family office is just a wealthy group of uh, family members that work together for a, a common goal. And that can be real estate. It could be any sort of investment. But it, it can literally also just be one really wealthy person who's investing for their family over time. So it's just, it's the normal company mentality, but allocated to a relation type situation mm -hmm. rather than just people who are coming together for no reason. Mm -hmm. Great. And what did you do for that family office that you used to work for? Yeah, so it was development, uh, pretty much exactly what I'm doing now, but ground up development, mixed use multifamily, mostly in the DC market. And so, you know, pretty, pretty straightforward type stuff uh, comparable to what we do today. All right, great, great. And then what made you kind of make the shift and say, hey, you know, it's great. I'm working for a family office, you know, a, fam a great family office and development, and I love it, but now I want to do things on my own. Like, how did that happen? Yeah. I mean, as you mentioned at the intro, I mean, I worked for a variety of companies. So it wasn't like I just immediately was like, oh, this is great. I'm a genius. I'm going to go do this on my own. I mean, I spent a long time learning from a lot of like much smarter people and, you know, huge companies, small companies, all kinds of great opportunities. So I took all that learning and, and kind of said, okay, you know, this has been fun and they have a lot of resources that, you know, I benefit from, but I really kind of prefer to be sort of leading the charge in terms of going directions that I think make sense to me, uh, doing the kind of projects that I want to do, working with the kind of people that I want to work with. And that last one was really the big key. It was, I had to work with a lot of consultants over the years that were just kind of like, these are the company consultants we work with and you have to work with them whether you like them or not. That was really frustrating. I, I spent a lot of time at work. I work really hard. Um, you know, and I, I, my opinion, work too hard to work with people I don't like. So <laughs> that was the big impetus for change was really just to, now I basically never work with anybody I don't like. So that's, that's key. Yeah, I think that that's definitely one of the benefits of, you know, doing what we do that we actually get to choose who we want to work for. And there's, you know, it's a lot harder than a nine to five. And I, I keep saying I, I switch my nine to five with nine to one. Yeah. But at least I'm spending, you know, most of my day with people that I love before I put my work, you know, before I pause my work and then spend it with people that I really love. But it's definitely, you know, some, I would say, 
it's it's a choice, but it, and it gives you a lot of freedom, basically. So you had that experience in development. And when you started to do your own thing and you know start a real estate company, you basically reached out to family offices that you used to work for and with, and basically told them that you know this is what you do now and asked them if they're interested. And they were kind of on board. Yeah. I mean, it sounds a lot easier than related. <laughs> you know, I could probably talk for a year about all the different things that happened along the way, but essentially, yeah. I mean, we were originally working with the families that we had experience with and said, Hey, this is what we're thinking about doing. Would you like to join us? Or is there a way we can you know, provide other services to you that you are interested in, you know, because I had those relationships to begin with. So. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. So if there's someone that wants to actually work with family offices, but they've never worked with them before. So at least, you know, you had, and I'm sure it was not easy, but you were, you came from that industry, you had some relationships and you can use that. But if someone doesn't have those relationships, how can a syndicator or an investor that wants to partner with family offices can actually do that? Yeah. I mean, there's no necessarily magic formula. I mean, a lot of it just comes down to making people feel comfortable, right? Like uh, they're not different. It's just like a famous version. Like they're not different than anyone else. They happen to have a lot more money than everyone else, but Mm -hmm. they're not different. Their needs and wants uh, at the core level are the same. So they want to feel like they're not being taken advantage of. They want to feel like they can, people they're dealing with are being trustworthy and are adding value truly. So like what I focused on was, you know, more about customer service oriented. So I was sort of saying, I have ideas about what I think makes sense to do in real estate, but you also probably have ideas and you're also very smart and and knowledgeable and educated and have a lot of money. So, you know, if there's things that you want that are not within the the scope of services that I'm offering, you know, let's, let us help you, let us build those for you so that you don't have to do any of the actual work and, but get all the results that you're desiring. So I think a a tailor-made strategy is, is a good thing that you can provide, especially as a, as a smaller, more nimble, organization, you know, to tailor it around their needs. And I think that was the key to our original success is we, we literally built outsourced family offices for them. So instead of having to hire, you know, five, 10, 15 people Mm. to run a real estate family office, you know, they had to hire no one. They just hired us as a company and we implemented their strategy. They, in some cases, they came up with the strategy all by themselves and we just implemented it in other strategy. In other cases, it was a mix. So I think the path that developed is up to the relationship, but the kind of intro, it's really just more about offering them trust and, and uh, you know, and also anonymity. I mean, a lot of them don't want to have their name out there. They don't want right. to, you know, passed around. So, you know, we're, we're, we take our, you know, privacy and, and sort of uh, things very, very, very seriously. And we always did and made sure that they knew that because th- that's one of the big things that, that uh, is important to them. Right. And it makes a lot of sense. Um, and so when, when you're working with family offices, you know, what do you think are the main benefits of, of working with family offices as, par- as partners, basically, in the deal? Yeah, I think the the largest uh, benefit from a sponsor side, like from my side, is that it's it's much easier to deal with one person than it is to deal with you know three hundred that we have now as active individual investors. Right? You get one person to agree, you know, you can move forward. Now it's like, yeah, maybe I have to get half of the people to agree to move forward, or half plus one, or whatever the case may be. And that's still got its other benefits, but it's much easier to get one person on board, or even if it's a family of you know three or four decision makers, you know, smaller groups are much easier to decide. Plus, it's easier to get projects done when you can show balance sheets and and guarantees and things that are much larger. You know, if you're trying to cobble things together with a bunch of small individuals, you know, banks don't love that as much. Sellers don't like that as much. You know, there's all kinds of extra hurdles you have to go through where if you can just say, okay, here's a balance sheet with $500 million and that's the person that I'm buying this on behalf of, there's really never any question. It's not like, Mm -hmm. you know, you 
kind of it's like it's like being Walmart and trying to get get something done versus being a mom and pop little retail shop, right? Like you're a much easier negotiation power. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and then, what do you think are the main kind of disadvantages or challenges when working with family offices? Yeah, so I mean, it's the interpersonal relations become most of what you spend your time doing. So if you're not good at that and you don't enjoy that, like I have friends of mine who have, you know, offered to hand off family offices to us because they just don't enjoy the family dynamics and the, and the challenges that those bring. You know, they're much more real estate oriented or numbers oriented people and they say like, you know, I got in this to do those things, I didn't get in this to manage, you know, manage people's relationships. And so you have to be willing to to be sensitive to those because these are people that that are related right they're not they're not just working together because they want to they're working together because they're related and that's part of the part of the you know the whole deal. So there's some challenges there. And the bigger challenge, which is really why we branched out into larger investor pools is because if you have a deal under contract or that you like, or that you really want to execute and the one family office you work with or the one decision maker you work with says, no, you can't do that deal, right? Like that's your only single point of failure. So it's great until it's not great. And then you have no way of doing that process anymore. Yeah, and I think that's a really, really good point. And it's actually a good segue to the second part of, you know, the interview where I, I was actually, you know, I would like to focus on how you increased, you know, in, in a short period of time, your pool of investors to have 300 active investors. I mean, did you, did you use a certain process to automate it or to make it more effective so you can actually make that transition? It, again, it didn't start that way. It sounds all nice and fuzzy, like I'm a genius. It, it wasn't <laughs> that way in the beginning. It was a lot of stumbling through making mistakes. I don't want people to think I'm some big arrogant jerk that thinks he knows everything. I made a ton of mistakes along the way, but to pass along the, the short-circuited learning so that you can do what I did and not have to learn from the mistakes I made. Uh, yeah, the process was really pretty straightforward. It's, it's kind of like be everywhere strategy or, or get out there, or get the word out there as much as possible. So so structurally, that meant we had to you know go about raising money in a outgoing process. So in 2000. 10 or 11, I forget exactly when, but the, the new crowdfunding regulations that allowed for more open uh, publication of your of your deals that you were syndicating, you know, that was a game changer for us. Before that, it was much more uh, private, close to the vest, difficult, in my opinion, to do things. You were trying to sell a product that you couldn't talk about. So that, that was a game changer. So structurally, we went under the legal structure that allowed us to talk about it with anyone, whether we had a relationship with them or not. And then on top of that, we layered in as many levels of marketing as we could. So we started doing online advertising through uh, Google, Facebook, all the, the normal channels on that. We started doing um, uh, crowdfunding in the traditional sense. Uh, many of those companies no longer exist or have changed mm. or pivoted. You know, but at the time, it was a big push towards doing a lot more crowdfunded real estate. And there was a big audience in those platforms. And then I also did a lot of speaking engagements. I mean, I spoke on a ton of uh, uh, circuit, uh, whether it be in real estate or out of real estate. So kind of face-to-face. And then I would also do investor meetings locally. So I'd fly all around the country and meet with you know, one investor and be like, hey, bring three of your friends or bring a local community group of people that are interested. And I would literally fly whether they were going to invest $1,000 or $100 million and meet these people face-to-face and create real offline relationships with them. And I think you know, all those things combined have created a really big marketing engine for us to kind of get our name out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, actually not sticking to your you know immediate area where you live and not limiting yourself that way and being able to fly in or drive and see people that are investors that are that don't really live next to you. I think that can really be beneficial because it's kind of the um, it's a multiplier effect where they bring their friends and 
And then those friends become investors and they bring their brothers and sisters. And it happen, happens that we have an investor that is extremely pleased with how the investment is going and then tell their friends, listen, I just invested $50,000 or $100,000 and this is how much you know my money this is, is, is doing. And, and then naturally they, you know, they bring, you know, other people and, and the pie just gets bigger and bigger. Yeah. So right now you mentioned that you have 300 uh, active investors. What do you do to maintain relationships with them? Because on the one hand, you know, so I know that there, there are multiple syndicators that, that, and there's, you know, there's not only one way of doing that, but some of them make sure they interact on, on a regular basis and some of them interact only when they have a deal. But when you have, you know, several hundred, you know, investors, you might need to, to you know, to step up your game and, and be more efficient with your time. So what do you do to keep in touch with all those investors? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great point. I mean, uh, most of uh, our relationship building is now through kind of like project marketing. So giving them updates on a quarterly basis on their on their investment. You know, we also do monthly dividends. So we pay out monthly on all of our projects. And I find that's another good connection point where people, you know, just see our name come in when they get the dividend payment into their account. So that reminds them, you know, our larger clients, like our family offices, I visit at least once a month, go to their office, you know, spend the FaceTime, do that kind of stuff. So I travel to see them. Some of our larger individuals, I do the same with. And, it, and it's not because the smaller ones are less important to me. It's just I can't be traveling all the time to see all 300 people I'd be on the yeah. road here. But you know, it is a challenge. I mean, it's a great point. I mean, we, we do deals all over the country. We've done transactions in over 17 states and our investors are in as many or more of those states. And so uh, it's really hard. It's not like, uh, you know, if they were all in, in Phoenix where I'm located, I could probably see face-to-face each and every one of them every year, but that's just not feasible with the, the diversified nature. So yeah, through marketing communications, emails, I always make myself available to them by a phone. And, and a lot of them I do have phone conversations with, you know, on a regular basis. Basis. But yeah, I mean, most of the time, truthfully, the, the time I spend the most with them is when we're buying or selling one of the assets. If we're selling something, a lot of them want to hear about what's the next thing. If, if we're buying something, they want to hear why they should be a part of it or not. So I'm not too different, I guess, than the rest of the people. It's just a more diversified uh, pool and a larger pool, I guess. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Was there any tool or some sort of a, a technique that you tried to use to increase the pool of investors, but you found to be not very successful? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, probably a million, but... <laughs> Give me the best one. <laughs> the, the best failure. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, some of the crowdfunding platforms that aren't around, I mean, one of them we spent like thirty or $40,000 with and they ended up raising like $100,000 or something. So, you know, you spent 30% of the capital to raise the remaining seventy. So that, that was a big failure. They're not around anymore. So uh, you can't make that same mistake. But I think you do have to be careful with some of these new technologies or new marketing tools or new whatever. You're taking a risk. And, and we knew that, but, you know, didn't anticipate exactly how it how it ended up playing out. That actually worked out to a long-term benefit. So I will say like, you know, the people who did raise capital with us, it wasn't just that first hundred thousand we raised, they ended up investing numerous times with us. So I haven't done the exact math, but I'm likely it worked out in the long run, but in the short run, boy, did it feel like a huge, uh, you know, kick in the pants. It was not ideal. So, and there's, you know, tons of others. I mean, we've, um, the wrong Facebook ads or the wrong uh, team managing those ads. I mean, we spent, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars on some of those kind of things. So I think you need to be careful about who's uh, helping you. So even though you have the right channel, 
you may be having the wrong message or the wrong team supporting mm-hmm. it. And you could still waste tons of money in that avenue. So I don't think it, again, don't get me wrong. Don't misunderstand that it's just like some easy thing where you post it online and like millions of people are going to invest. Maybe that's how it's for you. I hope it does. Yeah, but it's, it's for us. Yeah. I wish it never is. Nothing is easy. And I think nothing that is actually worth fighting and working and, and working for is easy. And I, it might be a cliche and it sounds corny, but it's really, really true. Yeah. It's all hard work. And it looks like you say, it looks, you know, I just described the process in two, three sentences and <laughs> right. there you go. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. there's a lot of blood, tears and sweat yeah. behind those, you know, you know, three lines and, and sure. a lot of years of experimenting and experiencing. But yeah, that was, that was really great. Well, thank you, you know, so much for sharing that with us. If, uh, if the listeners would like to reach out to you, where can they find you, Mark? Yeah, I mean, we're on all the uh, social media platforms, but if they want to email me, uh, it's mark at propertyincome.com is kind of the easiest over the, over the audio uh, address you can find me at. But uh, yeah, that'd be great. All right. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll talk later. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.